So, um, yes, it's great that we're here. Uh, we've been looking over the last wee while in Hebrews, particularly about the tabernacle. Now, whenever people talk about the tabernacle, often they turn off because it seems like a very heavy subject. In fact, maybe there's people here today and you've never heard tell of the tabernacle. But actually, it, it was meant to be something that God would teach us. You know the way you teach children through... Uh, reading a, a book, you know, you take them through stories in a book. Well, I think that's what God meant to do with the tabernacle. That it was a simple way. You know, you love your children, you love to read to them and show them pictures, and you love to, um, to teach them and prepare them for life as they read the stories, you know, the, in, the, in, the, in the picture books. And I think that's what God meant to do for us as his children. He wants the tabernacle to actually make something mysterious and wonderful and awesome. He wanted to make it simple that we could understand it. And so today we're going to continue. We've been looking now, this is now, I think, is this our third week? Looking at what uh, some of the stuff, real simple stuff about the tabernacle. So if you don't like the tabernacle, please don't turn your ear off, okay? Because this is not like what you heard before. This is actually simple. Because I'm a simple person and it needs to be simple for me. Because the tabernacle was in three parts. There was the outer court, there was the holy place, and there was the holies of all. And the priests brought the sacrifices here last week. We looked at this and saw that this particular bit of furniture was about how they offered whole animals as burnt sacrifices. And how this speaks of the cross. And I'm not going into last week's message, but if you want to, you can buy the CD or listen to it online. Uh, and then we go with, with the labour, this is where the basin or bath where you could wash your hands. And this speaks of how uh, through the word of God, we can be constantly clean. And you can read about that in Ephesians, and I've written it all here. So anyway, so we saw that the priests would travel, that every day there were sacrifices put on here. Every day he washed his hands. And every day the priests went in and they, they did a lot of work for God in this part. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But once a year on the Day of Atonement, the priest went right through, the high priest went right through, through this veil here, it was a very thick veil, and he went right through the veil and brought uh, sacrifice, in fear and trembling I might add, sacrifice right into the holy place. And that only happened once a year. That was a day of atonement. Atonement means at one meant. That was to bring us into oneness with God again. Now, we also looked, and these are the things I want, I'm going over this really, really quickly for maybe people who haven't been here the past three weeks. We saw that the, that the, the, the outer court was where there was sacrifice, but also it speaks of our atmosphere, it speaks of the heavens. We, we looked and saw that there are actually in the Bible three heavens. There's the atmospheric, the atmosphere around us, where we live and breathe when it goes up a certain distance um, and then after that you break into outer space and we saw that the holy place uh, is actually like outer space where the astronauts go but the apostle paul spoke about the third heaven and we saw that's where god dwells that's the holy of holies is actually a picture of where god dwells so you know when they go up in the, in the space ships and they say they can't see you don't see god up there well i'm not surprised because there's a big gap here and they can't get into where God is. They can only go as far as out of space. So Jesus, when the priests went in here with their sacrifices, Jesus actually did what the priests couldn't do because the priests were only human beings and they actually had to bring sacrifices for their own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And they went in just as far as here. But actually the Bible says, and we're going to read it in a moment, that Jesus went right through, and he didn't just go into the, the physical temple, but he actually went into heaven itself. So Jesus actually, this is not working, Jesus actually went right into heaven itself with his own blood. He became the sacrifice, and instead of the priest doing it, he became uh, the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice, and Jesus went right into heaven to pay for our sin. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's why it says he went through the heavens. He went through the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. 
Now, as well as that, and this is the bit I really want you to get, because this is a really important bit for today. This is not only a picture of what the high priest, what the priest did. It's not only a picture of the three heavens, but it's also a picture of how God has created us. Because he has created us with a physical body, so the outer court is like our body. He has also created us with a soul, so the holy place is like our soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's the part of you that keeps getting you into trouble. And then, up here, this speaks of our spirit. Now, whenever sin came into the world, the Bible says that our spirit died to the things of God or cut off. But that when Ephesians 2, chapter verse 1 says that when you accept Jesus as your saviour, that he makes your spirit come to life again. It's like he breathes into your spirit and the Holy Spirit seals your spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to live in your spirit so that you become like a living, walking, talking tabernacle. So every time you walk around, you're carrying the presence of God in your spirit. But the trouble is that your soul, that's your mind, your will and your emotions, still gets you into trouble because your mind and your will and your emotions Get out of step with what the Holy Spirit said. Does anybody witness with this? Right, okay. Well, let's read a few verses and then we will look. Because last week we looked at this furniture. And this week we're going to look at the furniture that's in the holy place. And I believe that the furniture in the holy place has a particular meaning for our soul, for our mind, for our will, and for our emotions. Okay? So, do you know this? I think I must have been half comatose over the weekend. I had a really, really busy weekend. And, you know, normally I am preparing this, like, you know, days ahead of time. But I didn't actually get started to do this until yesterday morning. And I think I have been like, <laughs> got to get this done. And I, I think I've written down wrong references and everything in your notes. So just, if you see stuff, just forget about that and uh, listen to what I'm saying. Or if you want to, jot it down. Because I wanted to read to you a couple of verses. We're going to pick some verses out from Hebrews 7. Because the title today is God has made a great new arrangement for you. Did you know that? He has made an arrangement for you that is specially geared to your needs. You might think you're a bit off the wall, so am I. But the arrangements that God has made for you are perfect for you, and they're perfect for me. Because He has made a covenant. Now, a covenant means an agreement that is binding. It's actually more binding than marriage. The covenant that God makes is unbreakable. That's why, and, and we've got a new one. There was an old one in the Old Testament, and it was all of this stuff, the priests bringing all these sacrifices and, sacrifices and everything. That was the old arrangement. But the new arrangement is that Jesus came, he was the perfect sacrifice, he finished it. When the priests were scurrying in and out of here, they were not allowed to sit down, not for one moment, because the work was never finished. But what did Jesus say on the cross? His last cry? It is finished. And that's the amazing thing. And so we're going to, we're going to look today and we're going to see what all of this means for our soul, particularly our mind, our will and our emotions. Because listen, ladies, if you're anything like me, you need a bit of help in that department. Would you agree with me? Because our mind and our will and our emotions run away with us. And that causes all kinds of problems. So I'm finally... Get back more in and let's read a few verses. We're going to look now at the better arrangement or the better, oh dear, sorry. We're going to look at the better arrangement or the better covenant. Chapter Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22 says, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. It says there were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. They kept dying and bringing new priests in. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus is the kind of high priest that we need. Because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. And he has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honour in heaven. 
Now, if we look down uh, to um, the verse 28, the law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son, that's Jesus, has been made the perfect high priest forever. Now, I also <laughs> wanted to read a wee bit in chapter 8, because it reminds us there that there is also a better covenant. And you know this, you can actually read on and on and on, because it's amazing. It says in uh, verse uh, 6 of chapter 8, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us, or if you like, you know, stands, stands there for us to help us. He's a mediator. He's one who stands between us and God. For he is the one who, is a, who mediates for us a far better covenant, better arrangement with God, based on, wait for it, better promises. So God has so much for you. It says, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault, etc., etc., with the old verse, right down to verse 10. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That means that this new arrangement means that when you trust Jesus to be your saviour, that actually the Holy Spirit starts writing the things that God wants to say to you, his word in your heart. There's something that actually is not like rules and regulations, but the Holy Spirit starts to breathe life and actually starts to write God's <coughs> word in your heart. So you have a desire. You're, you're, when you read the word of God, it means something because it's witnessing with your spirit because you're picking it up because the Holy Spirit is writing it on your heart. And it says in verse 12, And God said, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So... He was writing this to the Hebrews way back just after Jesus had gone back to heaven and he was saying, look, all that old stuff, all these priests running in and out with all these animal sacrifices and all the ritual and all the, so much that was written, you can read about it in the book of Exodus where God told Moses how to make this tabernacle and how to make it after a particular pattern because God said it had to, it was going to mean something. It was like a picture book. It was to help them to see that God what he was going to do when he would send Jesus. Because these priests were like doing something, they were doing something day and daily that was a picture of what Jesus would do once and for all. They were, they were, they were bringing blood sacrifices to cover up their sin. I think I want to read something else to you as well before I just mention, uh, before I mention uh, chapter, uh, Hebrews 9. I just noticed this when I came in. Um, Okay, chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with, with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. Right? He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who entered the most holy place year after year. This is Hebrews 9, verses 24 onwards. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has, just, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ was offered once for all, for all time, as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again, not to deal with sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Chapter 10, verse 1, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once and for all time, and their feeling of guilt would have disappeared. But instead... Those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That is why Christ came into the world and said, I'm bringing my body to be the sacrifice for sin. That's what I want to read. All right. Does that all make sense? 
The old system's done away with girls. Jesus has gone in to be the perfect sacrifice. And now he wants us to trust him and know that he's in heaven and he died for us. And he wants the Holy Spirit, and when we're saved, he wants the Holy Spirit to take over. Not just our spirit, but our soul. And we saw how in the Hebrews 4, verse 12, we saw that the Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, which divides between the, the soul and the spirit. So God's word breaks here. Because Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, this was ripped in two. Remember that? Ripped in two. And the word, word of God continues to, to work between these two. So that your soul, your mind, your will and your emotion comes into line with the Holy Spirit. And the more that you allow that to happen, the more you become one with Christ. And your body and your soul and your spirit will be in line. That is when you are at your peak. That's when you are at your best. That's the way God wants us to be. Now, when we all know that our mind, will and emotions is out of control, and we, we, we go away off AWOL, and we know that, but the Holy Spirit's constantly wanting to work with you to bring you into line with himself. Because the more we think like God, and speak like God, and, uh, and talk like God, the more we'll begin to feel that joy, and that togetherness, and that oneness that God wants us to have. I mean, God doesn't want us running around emotional wrecks. He wants us to actually be strong women of God who know who we are in Christ and who believe what the Holy Spirit says and we start to thank the Holy Spirit no matter what happens and come into line with him and say, you're going to work this out. I'm trusting you. Bring all of this stuff that seems to be out of control. I'm going to speak it out. I'm going to start thinking and believing that you do work all things together for good. Now, isn't that a good, healthy way to think? And when we start believing that God works even the worst things together for good, then our mind comes under the anointing of God, Holy Spirit. And when your mind's right, let me tell you, when your mind's in agreement with the Holy Spirit, then you begin to speak words from the Holy Spirit. You begin to speak out healthy words instead of unhealthy ones. And you begin to feel in your emotions that everything is as it should be. That's the way God wants us to live. And I think I've just run away off of myself, but sure, that's all right. So we're going to look now, and we're going to look at the furniture in the outer court and what it speaks. We saw the furniture in the outer court, sorry, last week. We saw it, it represented our salvation and our constant cleansing as we read God's word. But I'm not going to go back on that. I want to look and see what is in this place. And if we read then Hebrews 9, the first verse says that the first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. So there was a first. There was a first. Now this is a new agreement. In the old agreement there were two rooms in that tabernacle. So we saw that. Here's the two rooms. The first room there was a lampstand, a table and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. So we're going to look today and we're going to see what these bits of furniture meant. So the first one we're going to look at is this lampstand. It was a big seven branch. Now, now you're drawing for your business. I think that's seven. Um, okay, so when you, whenever the priest entered through here after he had been cleansed and he entered through here, on the left hand side the first thing he saw was this big lampstand. We're going to look and see what does the lampstand mean in your soul? What does it mean in your to do with your mind and your will and your emotions? Well, a lampstand gives light, isn't that right? So who would agree with me that we need to um, have light in our mind? We need to see clearly, don't we? In our mind, in our will, in our emotions. And when the, whenever the priest went in here, the first thing you would have noticed was that there was a lampstand because there was no natural light in this part. There was no windows, there was no openings. So the only light in this place came from the lampstand. And the lampstand was made, it had seven branches, and it was made from one piece of beaten gold. And it was the only source of light. And the priest's job was to keep that burning at all times. That light was never allowed to go out. 
The priest came in every morning and put the oil in it, and then he came back every evening and he put more oil in it. And what is it a picture of? Well, the first thing comes to mind is surely that Jesus came to this world and he said, I am the light of the world. So this is a picture to show us ahead of time that Jesus was going to come and he was going to tell us that he was the light of the world. And of course, as we look at this and we think that it took oil to keep this burning, we remember that Jesus came and he was the anointed one. Messiah means anointed. He, the Holy Spirit, oil speaks of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, and he came as the anointed one, the one that with the Holy Spirit was, remember when he came up out of the Jordan after being baptized, the Holy Spirit actually came and rested like a dove on his shoulder. So he was the anointed one, the one who showed the world what God looked like. He brought the light of God into this world. And you see, when we walk in the light, when we allow God's light to shine into our hearts, our mind, our will and our emotions really needs to, to see what God sees. We Listen, we were born in darkness. We, we, we're children of the dark because of sin. And if you look around the world and you see how much, just hor many horrible things are happening and how much there is of evil in the world, we recognize that there is darkness. And Jesus spoke about this in John chapter three, where he, he spoke to a man called Nicodemus, and he said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So he came, Jesus came into a dark world because of sin, because sin robs us. We don't see properly whenever we're, whenever we're living in sin. We, 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 we're, we're living in the dark, and it's like, it's like, we don't know where we're going, but we've, we've no focus. We can't see properly whenever we're in the dark. But Jesus came to be our light. And, and I love the fact that, um, that even in the Old Testament that David wrote in Psalm 27, he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So in our mind and our will and our emotions, we need to let God shine. And he does it through the scriptures in many ways, but it's amazing how God's light changes us. And, you know, whenever we get into a muddle and get confused, sometimes it's because we're not really allowing God's light to be in our hearts. Jesus said that you, when you trust Jesus, that you are the light of the world. <coughs> Why? Because you're the walking, living, talking, having it. And you're carrying the light. And so everywhere you go, but sometimes... Whenever we are soul and our mind or emotion get into you know all of the wrong thoughts and we go back into the darkness again, because it's possible for us in our own nature to start thinking and you know begin to go back into the dark again. When that happens, then we kind of block the light, and that's why that Romans twelve and we've been going on and on about Romans twelve this past few weeks as well, where God says, "Present your bodies a living sacrifice of the outer court, and don't be conformed." to this world, don't be like in the dark like this world, but by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think, then you'll know, you'll, you'll, you'll be transformed and you'll be able to carry that light the way God wants you to. So those verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2 are really, really important because if you and I want to be true lights and to reflect Jesus, we've got to, we've got to know that we have the truth in us that we carry God's light, that we're living, walking, talking tabernacles. And so uh, the thing is that because we sin and because of an old nature and we still, anybody know that we still get a few things wrong? Anybody? <laughs> like a couple of days ago I thought I did something and I surprised myself. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, how did I ever do that? It was an awful thing to do. I said, oh God, forgive me for that. But you see, your own nature, it's, listen, there's nothing good in our own nature. If you think you've got your own nature all nicely spruced up and like it's not so bad, now you can forget about it because it's wrong. <laughs> and mine's no different than yours. And I make mistakes and, and I do things that I shouldn't do, and so do you. <laughs> you try to fool me. I've been round the block too, once too often. We sometimes default to living like the world in darkness. We go back into old mindsets. We start thinking the way we used to think. And you know what? Somehow or other the light's dull. 
Well, it's still there because we're saved and we're sealed. The Holy Spirit sealed us. And our spirit is secure. We're going to be in heaven. But this part of us, mind, will, and emotion, this soul part of us, it can get a bit sick. It can get a bit, it can get a bit, I laugh because I was talking to somebody just a few, last week, and they were saying sometimes it's a bit like, you know, we're in here and we're flowing, the Holy Spirit's flowing over us and everything's great. We're all lined up. And then it's all of a sudden, it's like our mind and our will and our emotions, that soul part of us kind of jumps out into the dark. And they were saying it's a bit like soul lag. You heard of jet lag? A bit like soul lag. And you see, your soul, your soul can get tired and can, and can default back into old thinking and old ways. But God wants you to carry the light. He wants you to know where you're going. And he wants you to, to trust him that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and he is also the light bearer. And he is the one who will keep you walking right. And I've written down here, uh, Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a, a, a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So that's why when you come here and you go out of here and you feel you've got a wee bit of a lift in your spirit, it's because God's word has put the lamp, it's, it's turned up this lamp in your soul. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a lamp to your feet. It shows you how to walk. And it is, it's really, really important. It's a light for your path. And you feel good when you walk in the light. And God wants you to enjoy his light in your life. And it tells me, in um, Matthew 5 and 16 that Jesus calls us to let our light shine before men. And the Apostle Paul said exactly the same thing uh, whenever he wrote in, in Ephesians. He said, uh, you, are, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I think that is beautiful. In fact, I wanted to read something to you. I wanted to read that to you if I can just put my hand on it here. Ephesians 5. Here's what he said. Don't participate in the things that other people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Goes on down to verse 14. For the light makes everything visible. Isn't that amazing? That God, whenever you're a bit confused and you, you don't know what's going on and you're all kind of out of sorts, when you ask God to shine his light on a situation, he can do it. And very often he uses the word of God. And God wants to, to really give you understanding and he wants you to understand how much he loves you. Now the interesting thing is that not only were these candlesticks made of gold, remember that gold always speaks of deity, speaks of godhood. So the golden, and it was beaten. Remember, Jesus was beaten for you. Remember the pain that he went on the cross for you, that he could bring light into your soul. And so it had to be, it had to be of beaten gold. And the candlestick was actually made from one piece of gold. The word. God gave instructions to Moses. He wasn't allowed to like put a bit on here and then get another bit of gold and stick it on there. No, it had to be one piece of gold and it was beaten into shape and the seven branches were all made from the one piece of gold. It speaks of God being one. It speaks of Jesus coming down from heaven as God. He was a true man, but he was truly God. And the amazing thing was, and I think this is beautiful, it was gold, so it was beautiful, but it also had very intricate carvings on it. And one of the main carvings was almond blossoms. Apparently, almond blossoms are beautiful. I saw a picture on the internet this morning. They are fabulous. And God loves beauty. God, God just, he created beauty all around us. Don't be afraid to put the slap the makeup on here because he loves beauty. <laughs> put it on you. Look well, feel well. Get the nice clothes on because, you know what? We're meant, we're meant to reflect his glory. And he's a God who loves his beauty. And they were on the very top of each one of these branches. And they were like a, an almond flower at the top that was opening up where the oil was carried to give the light. So the priest would have put the oil in here. Now remember the oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. What does the almond speak of? Well, 
I love this. I get real excited about this. The Ammon speaks in Hebrew thought. It comes from the root. The root of the, the word in Hebrew is to awake or to watch. And there's a wee verse in, in, Jer- in Jeremiah chapter 1 where here's what it says. Jeremiah got this vision. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he said, I see a branch from an almond tree. And the Lord said, that's right. And it means that I am watching and I will certainly carry out all my plans. I thought that was amazing. That God's watching. And the light, you, this part, this, this lampstand, listen, you're walking, talking, living, breathing tabernacle and you've got the light of God inside you and this Ammon thing is tells me that God's looking in your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and he is, he's watching what's going on in your soul and he's watching, waiting to perform his word over you. Is that, is that not exciting? Does that not grab you? I love that. I love it. And he's, he's awake. It means a waker. And apparently the almond tree is the first tree that's, that sprouts. And it's the last tree that drops its, its, um, its leaves. I mean, what does that say? It says that God is, he's, he, he wants to get you as early as possible and he's going, to, he's going to keep you as long as you go on. So at one time a few years ago, uh, a Jewish guy was over visiting us. He was very prophetic. And he gave me the word that God, God the word over my life was the almond tree. And I love that. I love that because I came to know Jesus when I was only eight. I sprouted early. Isn't that amazing? Only eight? What age were you? Have you trusted Jesus yet? Do you know him as your saviour? Because that's when you start to sprout. And, and yet it says that the, 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 the leaves drop off latest and I'm trusting God for a long life. I'm believing the almond tree over my life. And I love this because, and it's not only in Jeremiah that it's, it's referred to, but I wanted to read to you from Ephesians because in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For the light makes everything visible. Verse, chapter 5, verse 14 For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. Now, Paul wrote this, and I think Paul was thinking back to the candlestick in the holy place, which spoke of being awakened and being able to to see. And the actual actual meaning of, of that word, awake, is awake and watchful, and, and ready to perform what God wants to do. And so he's saying, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. I wonder sometimes, does in our mind and our will and our emotions, do we tend to go into sleep? We need good sleep. I'm not talking about physical sleep. I'm talking about, you know, spiritually, where you're just zamped out, and you've stopped expecting, you've stopped thinking God can do anything, and you go into a spiritual sleep. Do you ever feel like that? I have. Where you just feel, oh, no expectations. Oh, well, I'm going to go to heaven. Thank God I'll be in heaven. But you're not expecting much on earth. Well, God would say to you through the almond tree on the light, he would say, would you waken up? Would you not begin to see what I want to do? And I'm ready to do it. But are you ready? And I think that's a word for us today. So this was the first piece of furniture in the, in the holy place. The second piece was a table over here. You can read about these. I think I've given you the references there. Table with bread, 12 loaves of bread on it. I need to try and draw the bread. But uh, this, the priest's job was to put fresh bread on this every, every week, every Sabbath. And the bread rested there for a full week. And the priests had to eat it. Only the priests could eat it. And they had to stand as they were eating it. And the, it was here in the holy place. It was, uh, we need to go into today. But there was also provision here on the table for... Uh, for um, offerings that were poured out like liquids like wine or whatever because it was poured out offerings to God as well but this is primarily today we're talking about the table with the, the, the bread now it was called in the Old Testament it was called showbread and showbread means it actually means the bread of the presence so when they were in here they were very very priests were very conscious that God's presence was there they were very conscious of this meaning God's light but they were also very very conscious 
of this meaning God's presence. And in fact, they tell me that the word showbread literally means God of the face. It was like God's face was there. God wanted them to see his face. So this showbread uh, speaks of Jesus being what? He said, I am the light of the world. But he also said, I am the bread of life. And so he, this speaks to us of how God wants to feed our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. He wants us to be feeding on Jesus and what Jesus says. And remember that not only was it a, a wonderful picture of, a, of, 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 a, of, of the word of God, but it's also a picture of the body of Christ. Remember, whenever the night before he was crucified, do you remember at the Passover, he said, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So way, way back, way, way back in the book of Exodus, all those thousands of years ago, the priests were standing over this and didn't realize really the full meaning of it. But actually they were standing and they were looking at a picture that was saying one day, one day God's going to send his own son and he's going to give his own life. He's going to have his, his own body will be broken for you. And remember Jesus said that as often as we would remember him, we're to take the bread. Speaking of his body. It's amazing, isn't it? And he wants us to feed on him. He wants us to, what Jesus speaks into your heart, he wants it to be your food, your daily food. That's why he said the Lord's Prayer Lord, give us our daily bread. We need it, we need And when we are feeding from him, we experience his presence in wonderful ways. And I want to really encourage you to make sure you get time every day to just spend time with God and to read a wee bit of his word and eat it. Let it get right down into your system. And you know, as you begin to eat his word, your mind and your will and your emotions will come into line with God and you'll feel satisfied because when you're, whenever you're full in your, physically, you're satisfied and spiritually you need to be filled as well. You need your daily bread. And God wants us to know that our spirit needs to feed on this. I, I love this whole idea of, of, of the table because remember, uh, uh, even King David again, Psalm 23, David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, whenever we realize that our soul is a holy place, that your mind and your will and your emotions is a holy place, even when your enemies are against you, you can stand at God's table and you can eat. You can eat from him. And you know what? The enemies of your soul, all they can do is sit and watch. Whenever uh, David wrote the, 20, the 23rd Psalm, the picture was of the enemies being captured and tied up and can't do anything but watch as they feed off the table. And you know what? You don't have to be afraid of the future. You don't have to be afraid of what might happen or what might not happen. Whenever you're in God's presence, the enemy has no power over you. You don't have to be afraid. David, that's what David said. He said, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And so as, as, we, as we look at this, we realize that our soul needs this daily. And, and that's why we get out of sorts. That's why I get out of sorts. When I stop feeding and I'm so busy running around that actually I'm taking up a lot of stuff, I can do that for a while. But after a very short time, I realize I don't feel good at all and I feel I'm all over the place. And I realize I need to stop and go and feed on Christ. I need to stop and spend some time in his presence, the bread of the presence on the table. And you see, God has always wanted to, to, to eat with you. He's always wanted communion and fellowship with you. That's why he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on people's souls to say, I want to come in and eat with you and sup with you. That's what, that's what Revelation 3 and 20 is all about. He wants to, you to experience him in your soul, enjoying his presence, realizing his face, that you would realize that, the, you know, we were in Israel last year, the last couple of years, and this is the third trip. And last year, uh, the first morning, as soon as we arrive in Galilee, the next morning, uh, we always have the trip out in the boat. That's the first thing, because our hotel is just on the edge of the water of Galilee. And the first thing we do, get the breakfast straight down to the boat. The guy who, who runs the boat, a guy called Danny, Danny he's a, 
that's the honest believer, he's a Jew who realised that Jesus really was the Messiah. And he has a loudspeaker and all up on the boat and he sings, he has music and all back and music and all and he sings away and then um, he tells his story or whatever. And last, last year, uh, we were on the boat and the music was coming out across the water and we were pushing out to sea. And I had this sense of, I wanted to go to the front of the boat on my own. And I turned around and I walked up to the front of the boat and do you know this verse? I could hardly describe it to you. But as I turned to go on my own up to the front of the boat, now there was a breeze. And as I turned around, I felt for all the world like I felt the breath of the face of Jesus over me. And I walked up to the front of the boat and I was so conscious of his presence. The tears ran down my face. I couldn't look at anybody because it was just like it was just like his the the, the, the wind of his of his face had just crossed my face. It was like it was just like a spiritual encounter that I couldn't describe. And you see, that's what God wants us to experience, not just when we're in the Sea of Galilee, but every day. He wants us to, to sit before him and to feel, to see his face and to feel his presence and to know that he's with us and that when he's for us, who can be against us when he is for us? He's right with us in every situation. He had promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's right with us every moment and your soul your soul can rejoice and your soul can you can feel good and this new arrangement that god has made for you is a feeling good arrangement because see the old one that we, we read it every time the priest would run in with these sacrifices it didn't actually do anything it actually reminded them of their sinfulness because in the old testament god just covered their sin knowing that jesus would one day come and pay for it but actually the when Jesus died on the cross, his payment covered all those people way back in the Old Testament. This is only looking for, they didn't have the privileges we have. But now he has made this new arrangement whereby in our soul, in our body, mind and emotions, where we can have the light of God shining, where we can be at his table eating with him, eating, eating of Jesus, and we can actually experience a sense of his face looking at us in total love when he's with us the bread of his presence that we know that he is with us every moment of every day the third uh, piece of furniture in the holy place was the altar of incense and this was it was just up here the altar of incense was just there just before the veil when you moved into the the the, the holiest of all When the priests came in, they, every day they went through this sacrifice for sin, wiping to get themselves cleaned up, uh, with taking up the word of God every day. Coming in here to the light, they put the oil in here, uh, they put the, the kettle once a week here. And then every day, as they were putting the light on here, they were putting the oil in, fresh oil, speaking of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit fresh every day. And as the priests went up, they went up here with, with incense to burn on an altar called the altar of incense. And that was, it was called sweet incense and it was made of, 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 of um, whatever the incense is made of, but it was a special recipe that God gave and it had to be ground really, really, really fine. And it was put on here to burn so that the fragrance would go up like worship. Also like our prayers, but also speaking of the continual prayers that Jesus prayed for you. Now, do you know what? When I thought of that last night, I just thought, God, I love it whenever, whenever the Holy Spirit helps me to worship you, and I love it whenever the Holy Spirit gives me an anointing to pray and to flow in prayer. But the thought of Jesus praying for me 24-7 is more than I can grasp. Isn't that an amazing thought? When you're not fit to pray for yourself, this word tells us that he's the high priest who never stops praying for you. And that his prayers are going up just like that fragrance up into heaven. And it's 24-7. That incense was a beautiful picture of what God wants us to know. That Jesus is praying. And every morning and evening as the priest went in and he burned that sweet incense on the altar, it was a picture of our prayers but also Jesus prayers for us now once a year 
And with this, we're going to finish. Once a year, the high priest took, you can read this in Leviticus 16. Once a year, the priest took some of this uh, incense, some of these burning incense here, and he put it in the censer. And as he went in on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into the holy place and he actually put a big cloud of this incense over the ark. Next we're going to look and see what's in the in here, speaking of our spirit. And so he put a big cloud to carry it in this censer. And when he went in, a big cloud went over where God dwelt. Right here. I'm not going to tell you what that was. We'll know about that next week. But I have to say that because it's a very interesting thing. <laughs> in Leviticus 16, and indeed in other places in Exodus, it tells us that the altar of incense was here. But in Hebrews 9, let me read it to you. It says, verse 2, there were two rooms in the tabernacle. In the first room was a lampstand and a table and sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room, called the most, high, most, most holy place. In that room, uh, it starts to tell you all that was in there, but it also tells us that, I'm going to look down, I don't want to tell you, I'm going to do that next week, but it tells us there that there was, in that room, a gold incense altar. So on the face of it, it looks like the Old Testament is saying one thing, and the New Testament is saying something else. It looks like in the Old Testament, very definitely the altar was here. But whenever the writer to the Roman, whenever the writer to Hebrews is writing it, he's saying no, it was in here. Now the Bible's not wrong. But you know, I looked up commentaries and stuff to try and work this out, but you know, I just felt like God gave me a bit of insight, so I don't care what any commentaries say, I'm gonna tell you what I said. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a boastful way, I just feel this is the way I take it, all right? I believe this, I believe this is what God wants us to know. When the writer of the Hebrews was writing, he was writing after Jesus had paid the price for our sin. He was writing after the curtain had been rent in two. And I believe that this speaks as to how God wants this barrier between our spirit and our soul to be broken down. So that actually in our soul and in our spirit, that there's an altar in both places. Does that make sense? And that the worship that we give to God comes out of our mind, our will, and our emotions, but it actually crosses over into our spirit. And we raise our worship up to God. That's, that's, that's the only thing I can see out of it. And I believe that God wants us to really appreciate that he died to bring spirit and soul together. He wants the Holy Spirit who dwells in your spirit. He wants him to take over your mind, your will, and your emotions. And he wants the praise to come rising up out of you so that actually you're moving in that place where you're not jumping out for soul lag. You're not getting soul sick. You're not getting soul exhaustion. But actually your mind and your will and your emotions are just empowered to flow. Now, this word, a flow of spiritual rest, has been in my heart for a long time. That's the kind of way I want to live. Do you want to live like that? Where you actually live in the flow and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You live in oneness with your Creator. Where the times that you slip out into the into the darkness become fewer and fewer. And you recognize you start flying back in here again. And you realize that God is for you, he's not against you. Do you know one of the things that I think is our greatest enemy? When we start to believe the lies of the enemy that God's blood and his and the work of Jesus on the cross, that actually God's somehow, even though we're saved, even though we've asked Jesus to be our saviour, when we start to feel that God hasn't cleansed us from all our sin, when we start to feel condemned, and we think, well, you, you, just, you just don't actually believe God that you're just, that he's actually smiling over you. Do you know what? I am I'm going to start to believe that the moment I do stuff that's wrong and I and, and get into the darkness, that when I come back immediately, I don't have to wait a week or a day, I don't have to wait even an hour. That in that moment when I come back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, just wash me clean again. I want to step into the light again. Please feed me from your table. Please, I want to worship you. Lord, thank you. It's not about what I do, but it's, your, it's what you've done, what you did on the cross. It's the power of the cross we sang earlier. The power of the cross is enough to get you cleaned every day and cleaned up, no matter what you've done. That's what's available. That's the new arrangement. The new arrangement is that you can walk clean. You can feel clean. 
And you know what? A lot of us are trying to do stuff ourselves. In the early hours of this morning, whenever I woke, I realised I was dreaming. And I remembered the dream very, very clearly. And the dream was that I was trying, it was like, actually it was William when he was younger, and it was like his finger was all like busted, and it was all like hanging open. And there was a doctor around somewhere, but I thought, I don't need the doctor. I can sew this up. And I was sewing away in the dream, and I was trying to pull the stitches together, and it was a real mess. And finally, I shouted out in the dream, would somebody get that doctor? I need the doctor to put the stitches in. And the doctor came and he just put up beautifully and you wouldn't have known there was a thing there. Now I woke up and that dream was very, very clear to me. And do you know what I felt God was saying to me, and I'm going to say it to you as well. I felt God was saying to me, you know what Maureen, sometimes you take on too much for yourself. And you think you can do stuff for my kingdom, but you can't. You just make a mess of it. And I felt God said, just step to the one side and let the great physician in because he can stitch up and he can do what's needed. And I'm telling you girls, I told that, I shared that dream with a friend on the phone this morning, friend and her, and who prays every week for us here faithfully. And I shared that dream and she said, oh, she says, more than I think I can see something as well. I think that there's many personal egos. They're trying to stitch themselves up. They've got old wounds. They've got stuff from the past. Maybe they're bleeding. Maybe they're feeling awful. But they're trying to stitch it up themselves. They're trying to sort themselves out. Instead of saying, I need you, Lord. Yeah. Please come, please. Please come and stitch me up. Please come and do whatever's necessary. Because I'll tell you what he can do, what you can't do. Are we agreed? Yes. Next week we're going to look at the holiest of all. Our spirit. And we're going to see what furniture was in here and what relevance that has to our spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is wonderful. And we just ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would take everything that's been from you and that you would put it right into hearts and that you would do what we can't do. That you would start to sew up things, that you would start to heal, you would start to bring more light into hearts. Lord, that people would begin to realise that they can feed on you, that you want to bless them, that you want them to feel satisfied, that you want them to experience you as their daily bread. Father, that there might be a flow of worship go up from here as we sing this song. That the worship might go up right into heaven's presence. That our worship might go right up through the atmosphere, through the first heaven, through outer space, into the second heaven, into the third heaven. Lord, we just thank you that you're here. We praise you in Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing the power of the cross. Now, at the end of this, don't sit down because at the end of this, it flows into when I survey the world's cross. And we're going to sing that as well, okay? So let's stand and let's really worship God as we sing this.